Let us pray together. God, we can fly the dove and we can change the banners and the stoles and the altar cloths. But unless we change our spirit, your spirit cannot come and be with us. And so this morning, create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew your right spirit within us so that we might be Pentecost people, alive and enlivened by your spirit this morning. In the name of the one who came as breath and life and spirit to spark a people, we pray. Amen. Many of you know that I am a minister's kid many times over. And as a minister's kid, I was, of course, along with my family, the first to arrive and the last to leave every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night and probably a few other times in the week thrown in for good measure, lest, you know, three times not be enough. And in the church of my childhood in a small town in South Carolina, we had a Sunday night program for all the folks in the church called Discipleship Training. And for kids, um, discipleship training essentially amounted to yet another Sunday school lesson in the same day, but without the very tasty fruit punch and shortbread cookies. So it was not quite as fun. Um, I can't remember much of the material we covered in these Sunday night trainings, but I do remember the first time I learned about the Trinity. I was in the second grade, and our discipleship training teacher, Miss Lori Sumrall, was trying to wrangle our rowdy bunch of elementary school students for the evening. It was a hot summer day, and we'd all much prefer to be outside, but we were inside, and she was teaching us about the Trinity. I remember her telling us that God was in three persons— that Jesus and God were fundamentally the same, that just as water can be solid and liquid and gas, so too can God be Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I remember being aghast. How in the world could that be? I had just gotten to the point where I understood sort of how Jesus could be God's son, but now to suggest that not only is Jesus is God, God's son, but somehow they're actually kind of the same person, but still different, but then there's a Holy Ghost thrown in there? What in the world? I did as any bossy and curious seven-year-old would do and began peppering poor Miss Laurie with rapid-fire questions about the Trinity. She answered my questions faithfully, but after several minutes of my persistent interrogation and with Bradley Madden and Clint Keels over in the corner uh, having a sore fight with broomsticks, she finally said, honey, you might just want to ask your dad about this. Our gospel lesson this morning reminds me of that hot Sunday night Q&A with Miss Laurie. We meet the disciples again with Jesus after long days and nights of increasingly enigmatic actions on behalf of Jesus. He washed the disciples' feet. 
He foretold of his betrayal and, and, and denial by Judas and by Peter. And he was predicting a very certain and impending absence. He had just told the disciples, If you know me, you will know my father also. And for that matter, you know him and you've seen him as well. I feel for Philip here. I imagine he probably just wanted to make sure he had all of this very confusing information straight. Because if, according to Jesus, they knew the Father and had even seen the Father, then his innocent request of, now show us the Father, was probably just to quell his increasing worry that somehow he had seen the Father and not known it and missed it. Jesus' incredulous response leaves more questions than answers for his disciples. What do you mean, show us the Father? Hello, have I not been with you all this time? I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And this too, I'll ask the Father for an advocate, a comforter, a helper, a spirit of truth, when I'm gone, to remain with you. And this Holy Spirit will be sent by the Father in my name. And it will be unknown to the world, but known to you, because it will be in you like the Father is in me. Mm, Okay. I'm afraid that Philip and the rest of the disciples never quite understood what Jesus was saying. And let's be honest, how could they? How could they possibly know that the Jesus with whom they had traveled and devoted their lives to was God-made flesh? How could they possibly understand Jesus' profoundly simple yet complex commandment? Love one another as I have loved you, and that's how I will know if you love me. The reality is they couldn't know that. Neither then nor now can we fully grasp the Trinity, that idea of God in three persons, the sacred mystery revealed in the dance between Father Son, and Spirit. But our text asks us this morning, is this the end of the story? Should we stop seeking to understand simply because it is too complex to wrap our minds around? Or at the very least, should we tell our second graders to quit interrogating their teachers about the very fundamental character and nature of God? If there's no way to wholly comprehend the mystery of God, should we even try? We all have to only glance around our sanctuary this morning to be reminded that the story does not end in inactive confusion and resignation. In the midst of a gathered crowd of men and women from numerous nations on that first Pentecostal day, the sacred mystery of God arrived, enlivening, creating, sweeping, transforming, igniting. The Holy Spirit promised by Jesus decades earlier had now rushed forth in a gust of glory, filling the room with palpable God energy and setting off a cacophonous chorus of chatter. God's long exhalation began at creation, sweeping over the face of the waters and separating light from darkness, breathing light into beings and ordering the chaos. That exhalation continued throughout the long story of the Israelites, 
bringing wisdom and nurturing and birthing new life. It hung in the darkness of Golgotha as Jesus breathed his last. And from there, it gathered energy, pouring forth onto an imperfect yet hopeful group of Jesus followers who probably were confused in the haze of resurrection. To men and women, to young and old, to slave and free, Judeans and Egyptians and Romans and Jews and Gentiles, the Spirit spoke the messy and risky language of harmony, of inclusion, and of peace, a language of love promised and modeled by Jesus through the Father and now given to ignite a people. I lived in Chicago several years back, and one of my favorite markers that I was back in the city after visiting family or friends back down south was the chorus of languages you would hear when walking the terminals at Midway or O'Hare airports. It was a far cry on the many variations of the southern accent I had heard down in Alabama when visiting my parents, but it was a beautiful chorus in its own right. You heard Italian men yelling passionately on their cell phones, Brazilian businesswomen in their power suits making business merger deals, Russian 20-somethings who were complaining about having to take out the trash, an Egyptian couple calling after their toddler, and the stately brogue of the Midwestern accent. These multicultural returns reminded me that I was one of million from around the globe who had adopted Chicago as my home. Through the simple power of language, even languages that I do not speak nor do I understand, I felt connected and comforted, knowing that I was part of a greater whole. And so, like the chorus of languages at an airport, the Holy Spirit spoke at Pentecost the language of inclusion and of harmony and of peace. Did you notice in the Acts story that when the people were gathered and filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking their own language, they were still speaking the same things? The languages were different, yes, but unified. Unlike a collection of soloists each singing their own song at the same time, these Pentecostal people were a chorus, singing different parts in different tongues, but combining to make a sacred harmony of spirit song. And so did you notice that after dismissing an account of drunkenness in the morning, Peter reminded those who scoffed at this particular revelation of the spirit of a word from the prophet Joel, that God pours out God's spirit on all flesh, that this spirit language is to be spoken by men and women, young and old, slave and free, In this Pentecostal moment where a collection of followers became a church and a people on mission, God's spirit was all-inclusive. And did you notice that the words of Jesus from the Gospel of John rang throughout his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension into this moment, into this people gathered, blanketing them in his final gift of peace? Jesus had said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
This is a peace that is breathed throughout the centuries, across generations and nations, a promise of Jesus to the disciples and to us alike to be present and to be comfort. Barbara Brown Taylor says that at Pentecost, God performed artificial resuscitation on a room full of well-intentioned bumblers and turned them into a force that changed the world. She goes on to ask, The question for me is whether we still believe in a God who acts like that. Do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and sets our heads on fire? Do we still believe in a God with the power to transform us, both as individuals and as a people? Or have we come to an unspoken agreement that our God is pretty old and tired by now, someone to whom we may address with our prayer requests, but not someone we really expect to change our lives? If we do believe, if we do think that God is still moving through us and within us and among us, that God is not done, then how can we learn this spirit language? Is there an equivalent of a Holy Spirit Rosetta Stone software that we can practice with? The answer is this. We learn to speak the spirit language of inclusion and of harmony and peace like that first Pentecostal day by practicing it with others who care to learn it themselves. We practice harmony by being true to our unique song and our unique story, and yet joining it with others who are different from us, but joining in a sacred chorus of love. We practice inclusion by welcoming the stranger, be it the stranger on society's margins or the stranger who doesn't vote like us or think like us or theologize like us or look like us. We practice peace by sharing it every week. That's why we do that, that exchange of peace. It's not just to say hi and catch up on your weekend. It's, it's an active act to share peace with one another, to invite the still small voice into our noisy and chaotic lives and invite it to take root. And by practicing these things together, In community, where we can sharpen and strengthen one another's linguistic skills, we believe and we practice that God is still acting and moving and transforming us even today. Oh, you're such a two. Oh my gosh, that is so eight of you. Oh my gosh, you are such a five. How did I not know that? These are some of the statements I heard this weekend on our young adult spring retreat. Numbers were given and sounds of recognition filled our meeting room on Friday night. We had gathered for our young adult spring retreat and the lovely Nina Maples was helping us use the Enneagram personality survey to enhance our self-awareness and to lead us into deeper growth and spiritual transformation. A series of questions that we had taken prior to coming on the weekend had helped us to identify our basic personality type. And based on your answers, you were given a number and a name for your particular type. A one is a reformer, a two is a helper, a three is an achiever, and so on and so forth. 
Among our group, we had a couple of ones, a boatload of twos, a three and a four, a pair of very perceptive fives, and some very headstrong eights. As Nina began to explain each type, characteristics at each person's best and worst, strong virtues and growing edges, waves of understanding fell over all of us. Oh, so that's why I do that. Oh, well, I didn't realize when I was stressed, I shut down, and oh, that's, that's why that is. We had entered the retreat together all as one, and as a spirit of recognition and understanding swept within us and among us, through the night and through all day yesterday, we were given a language, a number, a self-awareness, a unique lens through which we could understand ourselves, our relationships, and our spiritual life in our own native language, our personality. A season of Pentecost had begun, amazing, perplexing, and enlivening us. We practiced harmony together by sharing our stories and by letting the independent melodies of our shame, our stresses, and our successes mingle together in a chorus of connection. We practiced inclusion by creating space to be all together, where all were welcomed and respected. 20-somethings, 30-somethings, corporate VPAs and CPAs, teachers, artists, social workers, librarians, students, introverts, extroverts, men and women, gay and straight, members and folks who have not yet figured out what God is. We practice peace by resting in God's sacred presence, by being quiet, by praying, by allowing the Spirit to move among us together and within us individually, by being quiet and intentional and calling upon God to show up in our midst. And in doing so, we join God's dream for us and practice Pentecost this very weekend. My prayer for us, for you individually and for us as a community, is that we might feel the Spirit sweeping among us. We might catch the wind of that spirit language of inclusion and harmony and peace, and that we might practice it individually, among ourselves, and into a world that is in need. May it be so. Amen. This 